Good morning, everybody. It's such a pleasure to be with you again. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go into the house of the Lord. That is for sure. Um, Before I get started, I had a lot of people that let me know that they were praying for me, and and I truly appreciate it. And I shared with a lot of those folks that for some reason, this particular message, I felt like spiritual warfare surrounding this particular message. And why wouldn't it be? It's about repentance, right? The, The enemy doesn't want us to repent. He doesn't want us to turn from our sin and turn towards God. And so he wants to distract. He wants to do anything he can for his mess, for God's word not to go forth. But that'll never happen because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, right? So praise God. If you have a Bible, I'm going to ask you to turn to Jonah, the third chapter, and we will be looking at verses 1 through 10 this morning. Jonah chapter 3, verses 1 through 10. <clears throat> The great Scottish philosopher Thomas Carlyle once said, of all acts of man, repentance is the most divine. The greatest of all faults is to be conscious of none. Isn't this true? We can most certainly stomach someone who is aware of their need for repentance more so than we can stomach a person who feels like they never need to repent of anything because that's fake. We all have some things that we need to turn from and turn towards God at times. So what is repentance? In its simplest form, repentance is a change of mind that results in a change of behavior. As I thought about this definition and began to search for passages on repentance, the story of Jonah crossed my path. I believe that within this biblical narrative, we will see a clear picture of what repentance looks like in practice as we explore how the Ninevites responded to the preaching of the prophet Jonah. Before giving you a brief overview of the book of Jonah, I want to share with you a little excerpt by a man named Thomas M. Bolin. It's entitled, Nineveh as Sin City. Hopefully this will give you some idea as to why Jonah had no desire to go preach God's word to the Ninevites. Jonah's Nineveh, is thematically connected to Sodom, another biblical city of evil. God tells Abraham that the outcry against Sodom is such that he must go down to investigate. Similarly, God sends Jonah to Nineveh, the great city, telling him that its evil has come up before him. Genesis 19.25 describes God's destruction of Sodom using a term usually translated as overthrow. The same term Jonah uses in his prophetic preaching to Nineveh. Outside of the Bible, so meaning extra biblical works, works that are not in the Bible, but they speak to the historicity of the Bible and its accuracy and truth. Uh, Nineveh was known for having been a great, lawless, and ruined city. Greek literary giants like Herodotus and Aristotle catalog its sinfulness, describing Sardanopolis, That's the king's name, and that's a funny name. I have to work on that a lot. Sardanopolis. Anyway, it's legendary last king in unflattering and problematic terms. Diodorus of Sicily describes Sardanopolis' violation of the rigid gender boundaries of Greco-Roman antiquity. According to legend, his subjects rebelled against his taboo behavior. So this is a nod to homosexuality is what you're hearing here. The king 
and the kingdom was involved in gross sin, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. It says his subjects rebelled against his taboo behavior, whereupon the king piled his wealth up into a mountain, climbed atop it with his eunuchs and concubines, and torched it with a fire that burned his palace to the ground. Now ask yourself if you would be in a hurry to go preach to the Ninevites. Probably not. So let's do a little overview of the book of Jonah up into the point that we'll be speaking about this morning. So in Jonah chapter one, verse one, it says, now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. So God calls Jonah to go and preach against the city of Nineveh because of the great evil that was being practiced there. But instead of heeding God's call, Jonah chose to run from God. The city he chose to run to was called Tarshish. So Jonah boarded a ship in Joppa, headed for Tarshish, thinking that he could run from God. As Jonah sleeps in the inner parts of the ship, God sends a great wind upon the seas that make the ship feel like it was going to break apart. All the men on the ship were afraid and began to throw their cargo overboard in order to lighten the load of the ship. The captain of the ship finds Jonah sleeping in the middle of all this and says in verse six, what do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give a thought to us that we may not perish. Next, the sailors decide to cast lots as a way to discern who had brought this evil upon them. Today's version of casting lots would be like a coin flip, like throwing a coin and going heads or tails. It's similar to that. Not exactly, but it's kind of like that. So the men on the ship start to, they do the coin toss. The toss falls to Jonah. I can only imagine how Jonah's feeling right now. Like, yeah, I'm in trouble. So the men on the ship start to question Jonah, asking him questions like, what do you do for a living? And where do you come from? And what people group are you a part of? And so Jonah says in verse 9 of chapter 1, And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven, who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, what is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Now, the sailors are like, Jonah, what do you think we should do to you to make this storm stop? And surprisingly enough, Jonah says, pick me up and throw me in the sea. I'm like, no, 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 no. I would never make that response personally. No, no, no. I'm going to stay on the ship until y'all kick me off the ship personally. But anyway, excuse me. So he says, throw me into the sea. So they pick Jonah up and they do what he asked. They throw him into the sea and the storm stops immediately. I'm imagining the sailors wiping their brow like that was a close one. And by the way, don't you ever pick up another prophet from the Hebrew prophet and put him on this ship again. So that's what I'd be thinking anyway. But of course, that's not what they said. Instead, the text says that they were so amazed by the power of God that they started offering sacrifices and making vows to Jonah's God. Then comes the part of the story that we're all familiar with. The end of chapter one ends with this. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. The story continues in chapter two with Jonah worshiping the Lord from inside the belly of the fish. All of chapter two up into verse 10 is Jonah profusely 
profusely thanking and praising the Lord for rescuing him from the depths of the sea. If you look at verse 5 and 6 of Jonah chapter 2, it says, The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head. At the roots of the mountains, I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me up, up my life from the pit, O Lord, my God. Then in verse 9, we get to see Jonah repent from running away from God. Verse 9 says, But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you what I have vowed. I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Then finally, to close chapter 2, the text says, The fish vomited Jonah up out upon the dry land. Gross. Note to self, don't run from God. You might get vomited out by a big fish. Anyway, now we come to chapter 3, which will be our primary focus this morning. This chapter begins with a powerful verse. It says, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time. You might say to yourself, why is that a powerful word? It's a powerful word because if God's word is coming to you for the second time, that means we serve a God of second chances. You were supposed to shout right there. (laughs) If I was in a different type of church, we would (laughs) have. But I love you anyway. I'll just play. All right. Um, so, so God wasn't done with Jonah, and God doesn't throw us away when we fail to get it right the first time. What a beautiful display of God's grace and mercy. So God sends Jonah back out with the same message that he gave him in the first place, that he ran from telling the people of Nineveh. Excuse me. So Jonah, excuse me. So He sends him back out, and the message didn't change. God sent him with the very same message that he did the first time. Now, what I'm about to say here, I'm not dogmatic about this statement, but I truly believe that when God has commissioned or called us to do something for him, he will not let us off the hook until we accomplish what he sent us to do. Many times in life, we find ourselves seemingly going in circles and cycles and wondering if, and I I just wonder if maybe, just maybe, We're going in these circles and cycles because God told us to do something way back there and we still haven't done it. And he's like, when you finally go do it, then you can move forward. If you can't say amen, say ouch. (laughs) So Jonah intent on doing what God has told him to do heads into the city. In verse four of chapter three, Jonah delivers the shortest sermon in history to the people of Nineveh. The verse says, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet 40 days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Chapter 3 ends with the greatest response you could ever receive from a sermon. Verse 5 and 6 says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself in sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Jonah preached the word of God and the people did more than just listen. They actually repented of their sin and did something about it. That is the greatest gift that you could ever give a minister of God's word is to actually do the thing that they're preaching about. The chapter closes with God showing mercy because of their repentant hearts and God decides not to destroy the Ninevites. Intro done. All right. 
This morning, I believe as we work through chapter three of Jonah, you'll be able to see the following truths as it relates to repentance. One, a repenter responds to God immediately. Two, a repenter obeys God completely. Three, a repenter follows God personally. And four, a repenter accepts God's discipline faithfully. Now turn to Jonah chapter three, verse one through 10, and I'm going to read through that. Verse one. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey. He called out, Yet forty days, and Nineveh shall be overthrown. And the people of Nineveh believed God, They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. The word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. And he issued a proclamation and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water." But let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. Who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. When God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them. And he did not do it. Lord, thank you for your word Thank you, Father, that we can repent at any moment and turn back to you, that we can go to you, that you are our Father, that you love us, and that you are a God of second chances. Thank you, Lord Jesus, that that is true. Father, I pray that you would speak to your people this morning. I pray that you would move me out the way and just let us hear purely what it is that you are saying to us through your word, Lord Jesus. I ask this in your precious son Jesus' name today. Amen. The following is a quote from a man named Brian Weatherden. The title of his article is called Complete About Face. Wabush, a town in a remote portion of Labrador, Canada, was completely isolated for some time. But recently, a road was cut through the wilderness to reach it. Wabush now has one road leading into it and thus only one road leading out. If someone would travel the unpaved road for six to eight hours to get into Wabush, there is only one way he or she could leave, by turning around. Each of us, by birth, arrives in a town called Sin. As in Wabush, there is only one way out, a road built by God himself. But in order to take that road, we must first turn around. That complete about face is what the Bible calls repentance, and without it, there's no way out of town. Let us then, Highland Crest, not be a people stranded in the town of sin when we can turn our cars around and head towards the city of God. First point, a repenter responds to God immediately. Verse 1 of Jonah chapter 3, Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah the second time, saying, So, Jonah gets a second chance. Here we get a beautiful picture of God's grace, and it also shows us that God had forgiven Jonah for his disobedience previously. Think about this as well. When Jonah said no by choosing to run away, God could have just as easily said, okay, Jonah, 
go ahead. I'll find somebody else. But God still had a plan for Jonah. He still had a plan for his prophet. Take this with you as well. There's nowhere in the text that we see God reminding Jonah of his sin. That's interesting. Just because we failed in the past does not make us forever unfit to do the work of the Lord. Many times when we confess our sins to God, repent and receive forgiveness, God will send you back out to complete the mission he gave you in the first place. I'm so glad that God doesn't judge us the way that man judges us. Christian, if you're sitting in that pew today and you're feeling like you've shipwrecked your faith and all is lost, think again. If you repent today, you can get right back up. You can get out of the pig pen and you can run back to your father right now this morning. Verse number two, arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. Jonah got a second chance, but not a new word from God. Why? Because God doesn't change. He's the same today, yesterday, and tomorrow. Also, the message God gave to Jonah remained the same because the sin of the people in Nineveh had not changed either. This is why it's important that we communicate the truth of God's word without altering it to fit our own agendas. When God speaks, he says what he says and he means what he says. Verse three. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh according to the word of the Lord. Now, Nineveh was exceedingly great city, three days journey in breath. There's no more resistance from Jonah at this point. God says, go and Jonah goes. This should be the heart of every true Christian and servant of God. God knows what's best for you. He knows the right place, the right time, and the right word for every situation. If you've heard a sermon about Jonah before, you probably remember that part of the reason that Jonah didn't want to go was because of his own pride. It wasn't just because they were such bad people. Jonah didn't want to go because he had some pride of his own going on. He felt the Ninevites, or what we would call today Assyrians, were not worthy of God's forgiveness. Why? Because one, they weren't Jews. And of course, they were violent and wicked. And they had also been enemies of Israel for years. They had intense battles with them over the, over the years past. But what God saw was a place that had between 600,000 and a million lost souls. God cares about all the people in the world, not just the Jews. Listen to what Jesus says in Matthew 18, verses 12 through 14. What do you think? If a man has a hundred sheep and one of them is gone astray, does he not leave the 99 on the mountain and go in search of the one that went astray? And if he finds it, truly, I say to you, he rejoices over it more than over the 99 that never went astray. So it is not the will of my father who is in heaven that one of these little ones should perish. I also mentioned earlier that Jesus spoke about how Jonah was assigned to the Ninevites, meaning this. Imagine if you were a Ninevite that was present when Jonah got vomited up by the fish. You probably uh, get up and go tell everybody about what you saw and probably think, well, if God could save this disobedient prophet's life in the belly of a fish for three days, maybe I should listen to what he has to say. Jonah, verse 3, verse 4. Jonah began to go into the city, going a day's journey, and he called out, Yet forty days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Wow, how bold, how courageous. 
Put yourself in Jonah's shoes. First of all, you're alone. And you were already reluctant to go because you know of the wickedness of the city. It's equal to Sodom and Gomorrah. So he might have even been thinking, I might get killed or even worse going to tell these people that message. But he fearlessly walks the streets of Nineveh, delivering God's message of judgment. This, in my mind, would be no different than going over to the Middle East or Iraq and walking out and professing Jesus. If you do that, you're probably not coming back. But Jonah did what he had to do because God had commissioned him to do so. Also in this verse, we again see God's grace being poured out on the Ninevites. Because Jonah is announcing the judgment of God, but he's also telling them that they have 40 days to get it together. Wow. In spite of their great wickedness, God was still desiring that all would be saved. What a great and mighty God we serve. He is patient and he is merciful. The 40 days is a period of testing. The number 40 actually represents testing in the Bible. If you've never heard that before, let me give you a few verses that you can look up later if you'd like to write them down. Genesis 7, 17, Exodus 24, 18, Numbers 14, 25. Those are a few for you if you want to find out about 40 is the number of testing in the Bible. Verse 5 says, And the people of Nineveh believed God. They called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Jonah preaches a five to six word sermon and 600,000 to a million people repent. Wow. I can't even get two people to come up to the altar at the same time when I preach. And he just got a million people to turn to God. I'm blown away. The entire city hears Jonah's preaching and they receive it as a word from God. And from the youngest to the oldest, they all turn from their sin. They all admit their sin and guilt before God and turn from their wicked ways, and God did heal their land. When God is taken at his word, he is honored, and he honors our faith by pouring out his grace upon us. I couldn't help but wonder, if God gave America 40 days to repent before destruction, what would happen? Do any of us recall the joy of our salvation? I often think back to when I was first saved and got to know the Lord. Man, the excitement, the, the power, the, the fire, it's, it's nothing like it. And I remember one of the idols that God was calling me to let go at that time when I came to know him. And that idol was music. I love music. I love all kinds of music, and I always have. And, of course, nothing's wrong with music itself, but the music that I was listening to was not honoring God. Those messages, all of those things, see, what we take in is what we let out. If I'm constantly feeding myself trash, and this is not being legalistic, by the way. This is just the truth. Garbage in, garbage out. If I spend my time feeding myself things that are not edifying, I promise you that you're going to get a glimpse of that from time to time when you see me. Some of that, some of that stuff is going to rise to the top. So as God was convicting me about that, and, and my wife as well. We were both kind of in the same place, and we had a binder, and a lot of you probably had the same thing. We had a binder full of CDs, like so many CDs. And for you kids, a CD is this silver thing, <laughs> and it holds information. Yeah, and you slide it in this thing. 
Yeah, no iPods, none of that. But y'all, don't, y'all can't even talk to me until you know the joy of sitting by the radio all day waiting for your favorite song to come on to record it on a tape cassette. When you know about that, then you can talk to me, kids. Anyway, so, so God, God is convicting us so heavily about that, and we took that whole binder. It didn't matter how much it cost. It didn't matter anything. We threw it all in the trash. We counted it all lost that we might know Christ. And that, that's what repentance looks like. We see in our first five verses that the Ninevites responded to God at the first sign of conviction. They agreed with God about their sins, turned from them, and turned to him. That's it. That's the application. An easy formula, though most times difficult to carry out. Much like when God first called Jonah and he ran away instead of responding immediately, right? Two, a repenter follows God personally. Verse 6, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne, removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. Jonah's preaching was so effective that all the people of the city started following the Lord before they were even told to do anything by the king. The king's reactions here were very strong as well. The king's first reaction was to rise from his throne. Here's what that means. The king was in essence saying that he gives up his own authority because of how he had abused his position as king by leading his people into great wickedness. His action of rising from his throne was also a way of the king to acknowledge that he was in the presence of a more superior authority than his own. The king truly did humble himself completely before God. As I thought about this verse, I couldn't help but to see the humility of the king of Nineveh. The king could have easily told everyone else in the kingdom to turn from their sin while he himself remained the same. Instead, the king led by example and humbled himself before the Lord as well. You see, the king understood that he was also part of the problem and needed to repent too. I would love to see the so-called kings of our day exhibit this type of humility. But either way, Every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that Jesus is Lord to the glory of the Father. Whether you do it now or do it later, you're going to bow. Let me share with you a brief illustration from an anonymous author, and it's entitled, The Unacceptable Excuse. During a revival, a young man said that he did not wish to become a Christian. When asked for his reason, he replied, several years ago, I was in a man's kitchen. Finding me there, he swore at me and kicked me out. He was a professing Christian. And from that time on, I decided never to have anything to do with religion and never have to this day. The young man was asked to write down his reason in full and sign it. Then it was handed back to him with the words, take this. And when you are asked for your excuse on the day of judgment, hand this up. Hmm. That's right. Because on that great day, my mom, my dad, Pastor Chad, no one is going to be able to speak up for me. It's the way that I obeyed Christ, the way I lived my life for Christ. A repentant person doesn't base their commitment to God on what other people are doing. The heart attitude of a repenter is Joshua 25, 15. 
And if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Mm, Praise God. A repenter obeys God completely. Verse 7 of Jonah chapter 3. And he issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh. By the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water. The king is making a strong statement to the people and to God by ordering for even the animals to take part in their repentance. This would have put a huge strain on the animals that need to drink very frequently. One commentator said, what a bellowing must have gone up to God when none of the cattle were watered or fed. Anyone who ever witnessed the lowing of thirsty cattle can never forget the terrible impact. And I see Jim Van Gabe over there like, I know, I know what it's like to see thirsty cattle. (laughs) Long story short, what the king ordered was a big deal and a real sacrifice with real potential consequences for all the people. Now, just to be clear, the animals were not included in the morning of the Ninevites because the animals needed to repent. This was just simply an oriental custom to include the animals in your sorrow and repentance. Verse 8, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil way and from the violence that is in his hands. This speaks to an important biblical truth that we find in Romans chapter 1, verses 18 through 20. But God, and I'm reading from the NLT version because it's very plain. I just wanted this in plain English. Romans 1, verse 18. But God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. They know the truth about God because he has made it obvious to them. For ever since the world was created, people have seen the earth and sky. Through everything God made, they can clearly see his invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature, so they have no excuse for not knowing God. No matter how bad, no matter how evil we believe some people to be, the truth is that on some basic level, they know what's right and what's wrong. That's why there's no record in this text of Jonah calling out all of the individual sins of the Ninevites. He could have ran down a list of all of the stuff that they had did, but he didn't have to do that. He didn't need to do that because they already knew that they were living in sin. How did they know? They weren't, they weren't Jews. How did they know that? Instinctively, they knew that they were wrong before God. Here's something else the Ninevites understood better than many of us today. They knew that just putting on sackcloth and ashes without actually changing the behavior was not going to get them anywhere. They had to change the behavior that got them there in the first place. True repentance requires action. That action is turning from the sin you once loved and turning towards the God who loves you. In his observations on 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 1, John Stuart Holden gives a beautiful illustration. He says, I have around my home a garden. In that garden and its possibilities, I have the mind of nature. 
For instance, I know what soil and what seed should produce this, that, and all the other kinds of flowers and fruit. I see set forth in the seedman's catalog the wonderful things that the garden should bring forth, but mark you, the flowers and the fruit are only produced by labor, by obedience to the laws of nature. When the garden has been made beautiful and fruitful, it has been made so only by intelligent cooperation with nature. Similarly, we Christians have the mind of Christ. We know full well what a Christian life should be. The fruits of the spirit are only made evident in our lives as we wholeheartedly cooperate with the Lord in full submission and obedience to him by letting his spirit have full control of us, body, soul, and spirit. True repentance is thorough. In true repentance, we avoid looking back longingly at our old ways of sin, sort of like Lot's wife looked back and paid a heavy penalty for going back. And we will too if we keep going back. Point number four, a repenter accepts God's discipline faithfully. Verse nine says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. I didn't want to mess this part up. So let me share exactly what one commentator said, because it was powerful. He said, they repented with no invitation to repent. They repented without promise that it would do any good if they did repent. They repented without any wish or hope on the part of the preacher that they would repent. They repented even in the face of Jonah's anger at their doing so. They repented in mass from the greatest of them to the least of them. They backed up their repentance by turning away from their violence and wickedness. Such repentance was rewarded by the blessing of God. One other thing about verse 9 that I found interesting is this. Historically speaking, the greatest period of Nineveh's power and prosperity came a century after the events of this story. So repentance did take place. But they did eventually as a nation go back into the same wickedness that they were in before. Verse 10 says, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. It wasn't until the Ninevites showed their repentance through action that God chose to spare them. I believe this truth is reiterated in the book of James as well. If we look at James chapter 2, verses 14 and 17, verse 14 says, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? And verse 17 says, So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. Allow me to share an illustration from the late, great Billy Graham, which we actually talked about him a little bit this morning in Sunday school. The Bible says, whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth. If life were all easy, wouldn't we become flabby? Yeah, we, we do. When a ship's carpenter needed timber to make a mast for a sailing vessel, he did not cut it in the valley, but up on the mountainside where the trees had, had been buffeted by the winds. These trees, he knew, were the strongest of all. Hardship is not our choice, 
But if we face it bravely, it can toughen the fiber of our souls. God does not discipline us to subdue us, but to condition us for a life of usefulness and blessedness. In his wisdom, he knows that an uncontrolled life is an unhappy life. So he puts reins on our, out, on our wayward souls that they may be directed into the paths of righteousness. Thank you, Billy Graham, for that. A repenter is one who realizes that sin has consequences and they are willing to accept the Lord's discipline as an act of his love. The consequences of our sin also remind us of what we had to go through to get free the next time that temptation presents itself. There's some things that you get away from that you will never go back to because you know how hard you fought to get away from it. And that's how we should be aggressive and violently fighting all of our sin. So, in closing and concluding, to the believer, the message is pretty simple, right? If I'm doing something, if I'm living a certain way that's not pleasing to my God, today is the day for me to turn from that because I should do that immediately. That's, that's the application. We all have to work that out with fear and trembling in our own lives. For the believer, you can turn right now. God will smile, right? For the unbeliever, I want to share something else with you. For the unbeliever, I want you to know that God has a design. He has a perfect design and a perfect plan. When he created the heavens and the earth, he said, it is good, it is good, it is good. God's Perfect design is for your family, it's for your job, it's for everything. God has all of it laid out perfectly. But our tendency as sinful human beings is to leave God's design and do things our own way. And when we leave God's design and we do things our own way, that's called sin. And when sin enters into the picture, sin brings brokenness. And brokenness feels like Shame. Brokenness feels like disappointment, hurt, fear. And what do we do when we're broken? We search for things to feel those places that are broken. Our brokenness causes us to cry out and reach for maybe a relationship you shouldn't reach for. Maybe drugs, maybe alcohol, maybe Who knows? But in our brokenness, we're looking for something to pacify those feelings that we don't want to feel. But there's good news. You don't have to stay in that brokenness. God has provided a way of escape. And that's called the gospel or the good news. The good news is that Jesus, on the cross, took on the sins of the world. And that if you repent, that means turn from your sin and believe in him that he died, was buried, and resurrected, and now sits at the right hand of the Father, you shall be saved. And once we have accepted this free gift that Jesus offers to us, now we have the opportunity to recover and go back to God's original design. You see, Jesus lived a perfect, sinless life that we could never lead. Jesus never deviated from God's 
perfect design. And so through him, through his act upon that cross, if we trust in him, we get Jesus's righteousness accredited to us. And now we can walk in the freedom of being a follower of Jesus. So if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus, I am asking you, I plead with you that today is the day. We don't have time to waste. I hear so many stories. I got so many friends that aren't here anymore. And a lot of them, they didn't make this decision. I'm so grateful that God gave me a second chance and a third chance and a fourth chance. My God is so good. And I'm going to ask choir to come now. Um, I'll stand down front if anyone would like to receive Jesus, would like to be a part of our faith family, feel free to come speak to me either now or after. You can also speak to other men, women within our church. We have plenty of people here who know the gospel story very well, and they would love to spend time with you. God bless you.